This is episode 17 of One Page at a Time, How We Read with Rachel Lamborn. Podcasting from Virginia and Dubai. This is One Page at a Time, where we bring you strategies and resources for using books in your home. We are your hosts, Jill and Amanda. This is Jill. This is Amanda. And we've got another great How We Read episode for you today. Just so you remember, our How You Read episodes are ones where we talk to people who are in the trenches with kids and um, we get sort of their day-to-day advice and suggestions and what they do to bring books into their lives with their kids. Yes. And this is a really great one. We actually recorded this episode. I don't know. I actually don't know when we recorded it. It was a long time ago, though. Maybe August? Was it even that long ago? I think it was. I think it was the beginning of the school year um, here in the States. So right around August. Uh, I think you're right. So this has really, this one has really affected me and my family and the way that we read. And actually, a lot of what I published as the travel episode came actually from Rachel Lamborn. So she gives a lot of really good ideas in this and a lot of book recommendations. So don't worry about writing them down. Um, I mean, obviously you can if you want, but you don't have to stop the treadmill or drive unsafely. If you want to get one of the book recommendations, just check out the show notes afterward. So get ready for all this awesome information and let's start the interview. Let's do it. Today's guest has changed how we read in our family with her approach to talking with her kids about books, the books she and her family read, and where they read them. Her father, a former guest on the show, recommended we talk to her. And as soon as the first sentence of his referral left his mouth, I knew he was right. She's a mother of four with her oldest entering those preteen years and her youngest matching my baby at just over a year. She's been a voracious reader from the start and has built a wonderful reading appetite in her children now as well. We are thrilled to hear all sorts of wonderful ideas for how we can read today. Welcome, Rachel Lamborn. Thank you. So I wanted to start by asking you about how you use audiobooks. What does that look like in your home? Sure. So I grew up listening to books on tape, if you can believe it. And I loved them. When I uh, would drive myself out to the barn, I I rode as a teenager and young adult. So I had a lot of kind of drive time and I would listen to them all the time. And uh, I would often listen to books that I was already familiar with, but I would pick up things uh, listening to it with a narrator that I hadn't picked up while reading, or I would listen to things I might not normally pick up and read myself. Um, so I found that it expand my horizons. So in my family right now, we do use Audible, like on our phone, on our devices, our phone or iPad. Um, but I actually also we have an old van. So I have a CD player and we check out books from the library, books on CD. What? And do they I know, right? CD there? <laughs> but my children love it. Like they, there have been times that they were in the garage and we're home from whatever, you know, errands around town or a long trip. 
and we're right at you know a critical part of the story and they're like just just leave us in the car for a few more minutes I'm like what kid like staying in the car this is but it really helps us um be excited about being in the car together and listening to the same thing i love how it unifies us uh, we get to kind of be on the same page um my voice doesn't go long periods of time and my kids don't really like me as a narrator for like I've tried to read Harry Potter out loud and like oh mom it's too slow we all love being read to right like we all do even as adults so having someone else be the narrator but I get to be in I'll pause the story sometimes and be like oh what do you guys think is going to happen next or man I don't know that choice seems like a it's going to have a difficult consequence or you know so we'll talk about it as we go through the story sometimes i don't know i just love being being together in the story with my kids i love the word unify that you used i think that's really powerful in the image of everyone well i mean unified in the sense that you're trapped in a car but also unified that you're all thinking together and you're talking about things you're discussing and i imagine that it really does help get to know each other and you can really have some amazing conversations that way we sometimes do we I mean not every conversation is amazing but every now and then yeah although they have been known to say mom stop talking put the story back on so they're definitely into the story more than maybe the morals or the education of it but that's okay that's a first start (laughs) it's a great start it's a fantastic start and I also have found that my children do not like me reading as much as they like there's so we we haven't started audiobooks yet I am inspired though to start reading audiobooks we haven't started that yet and so we listen to a couple podcasts that are story podcasts and my children prefer that way more than my voice so I I can relate there with you well with my youngers I did start um, using like when the nap time is over and they you know aren't sleeping in the afternoon time but I still need a quiet time I used audiobooks a lot uh, for you know an hour well, we worked up to an hour of quiet time and they would stay in their room with the door closed as long as story was running. So I relied a lot on the audiobook for an afternoon quiet time. Um, that was a lifesaver for a lot of years. Oh, that's amazing. That's such a good idea. What kinds of books did you have them listen to at, at young ages? Well, they do have fun, like illustrated books for example, well, we lived in London for a while and we were introduced to the Gruffalo there. And so the Gruffalo is a story that, you know, when I read it and I'm just like whipping through it and there's no cute music or cute voices or, you know, I get through it in like 10, 15 minutes. But I think the audiobook it, it lengthens it out to like half an hour. So that's a good one. Um, Make Way for Ducklings is really cute. Uh, even when my oldest son was probably four or five, he loved, I think the fun thing about audiobooks is their children are more willing to reach to slightly the step above where they currently read themselves or would choose a book off the shelf for themselves. But an audiobook like Magic Treehouse was one they loved. Nate the Great. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my husband and I love Nate the Great. The narrator is fantastic. He's so funny. His voices are spot on. So Nate the Great is really fantastic. Is that on Audible or where's the the right Nate the Great? Yes. So Audible has Nate the Great. We usually just got it from our library with a CD. 
if you have access to, I don't know, an um, American library system, Overdrive. So the other one is Libby is the other app. And I'm on it right now. And they have several of the Nate the Great audiobooks on there. So I appreciate that suggestion. I was just needing a new audiobook. My son's about to finish the one he's listening to right now. So I'm just going to go ahead and borrow that right now. Thank you, Rachel. I recently, only within the past year, year and a half, learned about Libby. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I check out books myself all the time. I love it. But yeah, Nate the Great is, it really is one of our favorites. So I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that, I don't know, between Magic Treehouse and Nate the Great, that got us through a couple of years worth of in-between years. And I don't know, Rachel, if you've noticed this, but something that I've noticed with my kids is that they actually listen to the same audiobooks over and over again. And I, at first, was really annoyed by that because I don't want to listen to that story again. Yeah. But then I thought about when we read stories together, they want to read the same stories over and over again. And, and you know, I've read and heard from different people that that's actually good and that helps them learn these words and things. So even if you don't have access to a ton of audiobooks, even just listening to the same ones over and over again, the kids are still going to love that. Yes. And the kids will weed out the good ones. I mean, they, well... Sometimes. I mean, sometimes they listen to the ones where I'm like, oh my goodness, this narrator, this story is crazy. But usually, yeah, they like to, um, they like the ones that I don't mind going over and over either. (laughs) That's fantastic. I want to talk quite a bit about, because I, I'm very impressed by a system of books that you have where you've categorized books as being healthy or candy or maybe less healthy books, but, and then you use this sort of as an incentive program to earn screen time and other benefits, right? Can you tell us about this? Because I love it. (laughs) Sure. It kind of came about spontaneously where I was trying to figure out words to explain to my eight, nine-year-old why I, I, I don't censor books in our house. When we go to the library, I am so happy for them to check out whatever books they want um, if they want to spend their own pocket money on books, you know, from the thrift store or book sales or, you know, whatever, go ahead, you know, read what interests you. But there, I also want to help them step up to all the amazing books that they probably wouldn't reach for because of um, marketing, either because it was marketed kind of to a girl on the cover and the girl, you know, the picture looks like it's for a girl. I'm like, it's not a girl's book, it's a book. You know, anyone can read this book. Or if, you know, the cover just doesn't look interesting or they flip through and and the words look too small or too close together or they read the blurb and they're just like, that's just not interesting to me. I'm like, but there is so much value in uh, some of these other books. So we, yeah, I was trying to explain. So we eat all sorts of foods. And we talk about it at the dinner table, kind of on a sliding scale. Sometimes we're like, how healthy is this? On a scale of one to 10. And, um, you know, like broccoli is way up there, but something like white bread, our bodies, we like to eat it, but our bodies don't always love to have it. So candy books are the ones that for a grown up for me, it's kind of like my magazines or my uh, LDS romance novels, right? Like they taste good and they're easy going down, um, but they don't feed me. They don't feed my brain. They don't make me think. Um, they don't make me change. They don't make me feel deep emotions. And so I just, I wanted to help my children see that it's okay to have light, fluffy food and books. That's totally fine. But if we could also work hard to learn to enjoy 
the harder books and the harder food, that would be great. And I think they've actually got the hang of the book system a lot better than the dinner table system. So um, <laughs> still working on the food thing. But uh, yeah, so the books that I have on kind of my shelf for if they want to check out a book to earn screen time, then it ranges. I mean, it's not hard, difficult, challenging, boring books. It might take them more than five pages to get into it, but they're good books. They're ones that I enjoyed when I was a kid. They're ones that I've read as an adult. Um, children's are kind of early young adult literature that I found to be just beautiful and thought provoking and, and kind of that challenge to read, but it's so worth it on the other side. I love this image of the sliding scale. And I love the comparison that we we do all need to enjoy reading and we need to find a way to enjoy it. And not all of us are going to like broccoli right away. Some of us do. And that's awesome for those people. I, I just feel like this system that you have exposes your kids to so much variety. So I, I keep coming back to this food terminology here, but so you supplement <laughs> their candy books with your own books from the library, right? So as they're choosing books, I'm imagining this in my head, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I'm imagining that like where they're choosing their books, the library, you're also choosing books for them yeah. at the library. Is that what happens? Oh, yes. And we do have some like longstanding ones, like ones from my actual childhood that are on, I, I do have a shelf on in our home library, you know, we have two or three bookshelves and I have a shelf that that is kind of designated of books that I've collected through the years to check out. But yes, I also go and I'm like, okay, they're really into, for example, Captain Underpants and okay, they're checking out all of those. Awesome. But I'm going to also pull in, um, for example, uh, Lloyd Alexander, like he wrote a lot of adventure books that I loved when I was a kid. If they want to read, well, anyway, yes, I supplement. I supplement with kind of, I referred earlier to where, um, you know, marketing a book may have given them um, an impression that this book is just for this audience, age or gender or whatever. Like I have my American Girl books and they get five minutes of screen time for every American Girl book that they read and talk with me about. And um, so that's the second thing is they do have to talk with me, like have a conversation with me or their dad or a sibling about it, or they need to do like a puppet show or write a synopsis or draw an illustration or a comic or something. They have to show me that they kind of internalized the book. So it's a two-parter. They have to read it and then kind of present. But yeah, the American Girl books go down really easily with my boys because even though it says American Girl on it, once they're in the story, there's boys and girls, children and adults, and it's history that's interesting and there's pictures and words. And anyway, so um, yeah, I'm trying to give them a broader way of looking at books that there's there's so much out there that's so tasty. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that really shows that you are also open yourselves to as adults to different books and that's that's awesome well i think they seem to be reading a lot of different books like i will pick up a picture book just for myself i'm often reading young adult literature i'll read harry potter i'll reread it any day and then sometimes i read like the big hefty adult books but not that often usually i'm i'm in the the younger range myself so I was just going to ask how you determine 
like if you read these books yourselves or how do you sort of screen them or how do you determine what books you're going to choose to supplement your kids books that is a good question so and sometimes i have a little bit of wariness about defining books uh, like giving more value to one book over another which i don't know maybe like when i assign a, a number of minutes of screen time sometimes it's kind of arbitrary um, sometimes it's based on length or um, difficulty but I do get a little bit worried about giving too much uh, arbitrary value to one book over another, but um, sorry, that was a tangent. So to answer your question. No, I, I want to, you can keep going on that tangent because that was really interesting. Well, it's, I don't, I don't have an answer for myself. I, it's a struggle for me. Every time I do say, you know, they come to me with a book, they're like, mom, how much would you give me for this? You know, do I, you know, for some of, well, I've told them if they read like, Moby Dick, I will give them an hour of screen time or, you know, so something that's kind of like the ultimate is um, way out there. But when they come to me, uh, I do, I do second guess myself a little bit every time. And, you know, sometimes we talk about, hey, like, you know, for you as a this age or with this much experience of reading, it's going to be, you know, kind of this much time. But if your little sister were to read it aloud to me, um, as she's learning to read, then that's harder work. And so she might get more screen time out of that because she's put in a lot more effort than it would take you. So you know, I've tried to say like the numbers really are just arbitrary based on how I'm feeling that day, which is maybe not very fair. But anyway, but then there are lots of lists that experts and professionals have put out there of like, these are the best 100 books for children to read before they turn 12 or, you know, things like that. So other people have put, um, you know, value on certain books over others. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of communication going on between you and your kids so that they kind of understand where you're coming with you know, the time so. and everything. I see a lot of words. I don't know if they're listening or understanding yet, but I hope so. I hope we're communicating about it. I'm sure they're getting it. So the books that I have on the shelf or that I choose from the library, um, I would say, I don't know, maybe 70% of the books I read myself as a child or actually just recently read. I picked it up and thought it looked interesting for myself and potentially for one of my children. So I read it, super enjoyed it and recommend it to them. And sometimes they're ones recommended by friends. I have uh, a couple of friends that I really respect their choices of books for themselves and for children. And so I use them as a, heavily as a resource. Often, especially at the library, it really is based on the cover and the blurb and a quick thumb through. And I don't read everything before. For example, there was a book that I picked up from the library and I put it on our little checkout for screen time. And it was a thin volume. It's called Edward's Eyes. And I didn't read it before. And of course, my son, my second son, he chose to read it because it is a slender volume. And I, I actually had no idea what the story would do to him. Uh, he came to me after he read him. He sat down and read it within a matter of an hour or so. And he came to me and he, his eyes were just full of tears. I said, sweetheart, what's wrong? He was holding the book and he said, this book made me cry. And I, I was at first alarmed. I was like, oh my goodness, did I choose like a terrible book? But I said, can you tell me about it? Can you, you know, explain to me what you're feeling and why? And so he told me about this book and it's about a sacrifice 
that a child makes and like an ultimate sacrifice and a brother loses another brother and so there's death in there and I mean it was some deep stuff and I just was oh, so joyful that this book that and I, I maybe should have screened it just a little bit more but but a book touched him so deeply that he was emotional about it. I, you know, that's not very usual. I mean, it's wonderful to have books to laugh at. And I hear a lot of laughter from the books that they usually read. Um, but to, you know, to have a, a book spark a deep emotion like that, I was like, that is good. That's empathy. That's, you know, you're growing. That's maturity. And I was, you know, I think he got a little bit nervous of, of choosing books for a little while after that. He was a little wary. And I would reassure him, you know, this one, I don't think this one will be quite so surprising of a of a conclusion. Anyway, it was it was really touching for me to see that he could be touched so deeply by a book. What a story and what a growing moment for him. Stories can be so powerful. It can be so powerful. And I, I hope that in the future, maybe he does seek that out again. But it's okay to choose some lighter stuff for a while. <laughs> I, I am not one to, especially after becoming a mother, I tend to shy away from some storylines and I'll actually look it up to make sure that there isn't specific things happening in a book. But before you read that, then you you don't know if it's going to affect you or not and how it's going to affect you. Yeah, I think it is helpful and to have the resource of the internet to double check um, some things. I've definitely done it for myself and I think, you know, after my son's experience, I might double check some more of the children's ones that I myself haven't read. Even The Giver, like we recently read The Giver, well, we listened to it in the car. And that one sparked a lot of great conversations. And that's one that I loved as a kid. So I, I did know what was in it. But you kind of see things fresh when you have children listening to it for the first time and you know, children of certain ages at different levels that you're familiar with and you you do see it with a new perspective and it's interesting to see the the questions that they ask about what's going on and yeah, just how they feel about it, what what it's sparking. But it is good to yeah, triple triple check that there's trigger things in some of those books for if you're just not prepared to deal with the emotions that come yeah, from them. And of course, you know your children best, so you're going to be able to tell much better than, than anyone else whether or not your child may benefit from a book or not. Yeah. And we, I mean, we've had a couple audiobooks where we've gotten a few pages, a few uh, minutes in, and I've said, yeah, I think we're going to skip this one. Or, so that's a good lesson for the children, too, that they, they don't have to read or listen or watch anything that they're uncomfortable with that maybe it's just not for now could save it for later and with books too I you know I've said for the screen time earning thing you know if they read the whole book then they're going to get whatever the time allotment is but if they give a good effort if they give a good try then I will and they have a good reason for why I don't want to continue it that's fair enough we don't have to read every book cover to cover Uh, if you're just it's not speaking to you it's not interesting it's not it's damaging in some way, then go ahead, close it. There's no, so I will, you know, I'll give them a good effort amount of screen time if that's what they're after. It seems like you have it built into your, well, for lack of a better word, you have it built into your system that you communicate about the book afterward. So then they've already become comfortable talking to you about these things. You're able to trust what they're saying and they're not just saying, you know, oh, I didn't like this book, so I don't want to read it. 
but that they actually have a yeah. valid reason and they're not just trying to get out of it. Yes. No, I, I am glad that I, I had that brainstorm or heard about it from somebody else. I don't know. I'm sure I can't take credit for it, but I, I am glad that, um, you know, I said you can present in all these different ways, but most of the time they do choose the conversation. Occasionally we've had an awesome comic drawn. I've enjoyed those, but usually it's the the conversation and I do love it. I, I know that um, this is kind of a critical time. My oldest is almost 11. And so for the next couple of years, I know that communication might become a little more challenging. And I just hope that we're making a really good foundation for, um, even if it's maybe difficult to talk about what's actually happening in his own life at school or with friends, because sometimes those are too close to home. But if we can have the open uh, wires to be able to talk about our family movie night movie or um, the books that I'm reading and he is willing to listen for a few minutes or if he's willing to talk about the book that he's reading. I, I just hope that maybe a hypothetical situation can can keep the communication open for the tricky years ahead. Well, let us know how that goes. I can only imagine what the stress and pressure is coming in the teenage years. So you'll have to report back. Oh, I'm, I'm looking ahead to all the others who have done it so successfully before. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about one more thing that you've mentioned briefly here that you lived abroad for a few years in, in London. And during that time, you traveled quite a lot. You used books to prepare and educate everyone while you were traveling, before you traveled. How did you do that? We sometimes did it better than others. I used a lot of books, again, that I already knew and loved or actually kind of wanted to try. So for example, in England, I think we're probably the most successful actually in the UK. Um, We did a lot of the classics, like we read Peter Pan and it was a challenge. It was hard to read the actual Peter Pan, but we did it. And, you know, then we went to like the statue. And so we, we appreciated what we, where we were in the place. We appreciated the, the people um, that we were interacting with a little more, knowing that this was a part of the history of London. And um, was this book, we read Paddington. Um, we read Winnie the Pooh and went down to the Hundred Acre Wood. Um, so those ones were kind of easy. I felt like those ones were dessert. Um, We went up to Scotland and we discovered at our local library, I haven't found it here in the U.S., so maybe it's, you know, kind of a U.K.-specific one. But anyway, you're visiting Scotland. There's an an illustration. It's a series um, called Katie Morag, and uh, I would always try to read it with a Scottish accent, and they were so annoyed, so annoyed. But you couldn't help it, right? The pictures were so dreamy and the stories were charming and spunky. Um, The heroine is pretty fantastic. So I feel like we did a pretty great job before, after, during in the UK. And then I tried a couple times uh, as we were traveling otherwhere. And sometimes it went well and sometimes it didn't. Another time that we did do well was we read Pippi Longstocking out loud together before we went to Sweden. And then while we were driving around Sweden, we were listening to another one by the same author, Children of Noisy Village. And so that was fun to, again, I mean, it's in English, but we still felt like we were getting to know the the people a little bit better while we were kind of sequestered in our car going from place to place. That's amazing. We We also travel quite a bit as a family, and I've thought about how to sort of implement something to give them 
my children some foundation or some background about where we go because right now they have no connection to anything so one country is the same as another one state is the same as another you know there's just nothing and I love this idea of taking it locally when you were there in London and you were visiting the sites and basing everything off of those books, you know, that could be so fun to do wherever you live to find something about where you are. I think so. And I, I mean, it's really fun to do it when you're going to a totally new place and really exotic feeling. But I think really my favorite times have been when it, it does feel a little bit more at home and local. I, we live in the Bay Area right now, and I've been on the hunt for some great local Bay Area um, books and we found one that was fantastic about the Golden Gate Bridge and why it's painted the color it is and, and the history of that. It was a really great book. And there's another author. Oh, dear. I can't remember her name. She's written a lot of really touching, like I was weeping while I was reading these children's books. But there's one about a, a dog who's a hero who saves people uh, in the San Francisco Bay. And, you know, that was a repeat one. My daughter wanted that one over and over so I, I really do love finding, and sometimes it, it takes a while or talking to just the right person at just the right moment, a librarian or a friend or somebody at the park to find those gems. Um, but it really does make you appreciate where you live or where you get to visit even more. And I love that, you know, you can travel somewhere on the couch when you're on a book, in a book. Uh, it just, it's, it broadens your horizons unlike anything else. Love it. Yeah. Well, I do have one book that I can recommend about San Francisco. Yeah. So it's a series we actually just interviewed Lauren Tarshis, and she wrote the I Survived series, and she has one called I Survived the San Francisco Earthquake. It's a historical book. So cool. Check that out. I think my boys out from the school library. I'll have to see if they. Um, yeah, if they have that mm-hmm. one, thank you. I will. I'm sure yeah. my boys would love that. Uh, another one, actually, for older readers. Can't remember the author's name again, just off the top of my head. But um, she has written some fantastic uh, kind of uh, middle grade books um, that are mysteries, and the, the children are solving book solving mysteries around the San Francisco area and on Alcatraz Island. And um, I've learned to, we've gone to a few places mentioned in the book and learned about the it's it's. Uh, ice cream sandwich uh from that book so yeah there's a lot of of really good local wherever you live and if there isn't one then maybe you could write it or have your child write it about your local area now that's a whole other conversation (laughs) maybe screen time earning would that would that might be our next thing is write your own books for screen time inspiration (laughs) yeah really actually i'm kind of fired up about that one now (laughs) Well, my, my four-year-old writes her own books, so that's how, how we do it when we're trying to navigate difficult emotions, and I have her write a story about it. <laughs> I Back to this um, location-based book thing, when I was in high school, we read Giants in the Earth. It was very powerful as a high schooler to be reading a book about the Dakota Territory. And here I am in South Dakota and the names are familiar and the lifestyle, it really did hit home. And often I love fiction, but often my children are also drawn to factual books. And so sometimes, you know, when we 
uh, let's see, when we went to Vesuvius, we read some factual books about uh, Pompeii, and I think they they loved, you know, the gruesome pictures and the, the very dramatic um, things of a real-life experience. So uh, sometimes some fact books get the imagination going even more than a, a fictional account. A good combination, right? A yeah. good combination. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. We have taken more than what we should have of your time. But I wanted to ask before we let you go. So, Rachel, what would you recommend that we could do this week with our families to do? What's something you would suggest? That is a really fun question. Um, I like the way you worded it because it sparked a different thought than I'd been struggling over. So my thought for this week, I think I'm going to do every week, well, most weeks we do a family movie night. But I think this week I would rather do a -a readathon. So I think we're going to get a couple of um, treats. Everybody choose their own book or we can read a book together. And I think we're going to do a -a readathon this week. That's an awesome idea. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. We really appreciate coming on and sharing some of your very wonderful ideas. These are inspiring to me. I keep using that word because I just, I'm so glad that we connected with you. I do feel like we should go and hang out sometime and go to a flea market, find some good books. And I want your entire book because I think we have a lot of overlap there. (laughs) Thank you. It's been really fun. I was a little bit nervous, but it's just been chatting with friends. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. So like we said before the interview, there is so much in what Rachel told us and what she shared with us. And I just don't even know where to start with everything that she said. Um, But I have to start somewhere. So I'm going to jump right in with candy books versus quote unquote healthy books. I love that imagery. I love candy myself. I love sweets. I love sugar. But she's right. You cannot exist on a diet of just those foods. And you cannot also exist on a diet of just those types of books. I call them fluffy books. And I love fluffy books. Um, But after I read so many of them, I feel the need for something a little bit different. So I love the way that she has brought that into her kids' lives. Yeah, and I was listening to a podcast today, and it was an interview with the author of a book. The, The author's name is Alan Jacobs, and he wrote The Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction. And he uses this same sort of terminology of food. I think he calls it in the book, I haven't read it, but in the interview, at least he calls it junk food or or he relates junk food and junk books. So it's the same sort of using food as a way to visually represent um, the sliding scale that Rachel talks about. And I think it's such a great idea to help your kids learn what we also need to be doing as adults, that we need to be balancing the way that we read books, because you can use books for so many different things in your life, whether it's to learn something new, or to learn empathy for someone, or to just escape and um, maybe have fun, or to teach something to someone else. There are so many different things that you can do with books. But the way that we can most effectively 
use books is by balancing all of them and by getting some of the things that are junk for us and some of the things, you know, and that's going to also be different to different people. So I love this concept and I am excited to look more into the research about it that um, Alan Jacobs talks about in his book. And we'll link the, we'll link that interview and also his book in the show notes as well. We definitely will. And I'm excited to look into that a little bit as well. Amanda just told me about it this morning, so I haven't, haven't had a chance to look into it, but definitely if there's some good stuff in there, we're going to, we're going to be looking more into this and maybe bringing some more of his, his thoughts to everybody as well. And you know, something else that really resonates with me from Rachel's conversation is the story of her son having such an emotional reaction to a book I just I don't know what did what did you think about that Joe well I loved that she was so okay with this experience like she recognized that it could have gone much differently but she really appreciated that her son had this emotional connection and and she had this moment of oh no what did I do and then it became a wonderful connecting time for her and her son as well as a connecting time between her son and a book and to have him realize that a book could affect him that way um and so I love that she was able to see the good in that situation and in that experience in a situation that really could have gone much differently for her as well as her son we never know what our kids are going to respond to in different ways. And this reminds me so much of what I'm currently going through right now with my five-year-old. You're never going to be able to censor 100% or pre-read or screen all of the content that your children are exposed to, right? And I love that Rachel has the framework in place that her son came to her when he had a reaction to a book and he wanted to talk with her about it. Or maybe, you know, maybe your child doesn't want to talk with you about it, but when you're a safe space, I, I think that that can be a really wonderful and powerful thing. And my daughter right now, I'm learning where her boundaries are. And she does not have a very high threshold. I, <laughs> we are reading a book right now, um, something about Poppy the Fairy Pony or something. I don't even know. It is the most benign book that I could find. I was trying so hard because of our last week's challenge. I was like, I am going to read a chapter book aloud to my children every day this week. And it took me serious effort trying to find <laughs> this, like, this book that has nothing in it. And still, my daughter, it's about this pony, and the pony is really shy. And that's the whole problem of the book is that the pony is shy and all of these fairy animals are really nice to the pony, but she's just so shy. And my daughter is still anxious about this book. <laughs> and, you know, if we're not having these conversations with our kids, we're never going to know and we're never going to be able to really connect with them about some of these topics if we don't have that framework in place, you know, to, to have these conversations, these back and forths. And 
as a side note, if you have any recommendations for completely mild books, please send those book recommendations my way. <laughs> we might need to put out a plea for you on our on our social media and see what what recommendations we can get for you. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure. Well, and you know, honestly, maybe this is just something that we're going to have to work up to. She is just a very sensitive soul. But I'm just going to have to be braced for these reactions. And it's a, it's a good lesson for me to be learning early on. <laughs> it is. And it like we've talked about it with Rachel as well. I think Megan Cox Gordon brought it up just how books are such a great way to open up lines of communication between two people. And, um, and that was the case with her and her son. And I think it'll be the case with you and your daughter as well that you reckon, you know, you try a new book and, oh, this one's not working. And, you know, why isn't it working? What, what is it making you feel? Why, you know, what, what about it made you feel that way? And then move on to the next book, see what, what you can find. So that was, that is the great thing about these wonderful things called books that we love so much. It's true. It's true. So if you are anxious to get a hold of some of these book recommendations, Go to our website, which is one spelled out O N E page podcast.com, or check out the show notes wherever you are listening to this podcast. <laughs> and you can find all of the book recommendations there. And maybe we'll be putting it out on Instagram as well. I don't know. I, I feel like there are quite a few really great recommendations. And also, we have coming up. A very exciting event. We are starting our very first giveaway, and it's going to be starting next week. February 5th is Read Aloud Day. We'll be giving you all sorts of challenges, various things that you can do to read aloud at home, to read aloud in public, in a public space, and also to help spread the word about reading, reading aloud in celebration of Read Aloud Day. So, if you want to get in on the opportunity to win some books, whoever earns the most points will win the prize of books. And if you want to be in the running, keep following us on Instagram at one underscore page underscore podcast. We'll be starting, I think, today with showing um, some of the things that are going to be coming up that you can do. So put that in your schedule that the 5th and 6th we will do doing a 48-hour marathon of collecting points for your opportunity to win some books. We are super excited for World Read Aloud Day and hope you guys will join us with our challenge. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.